So in uh, Numbers 13, we're continuing with this journey in the nation of Israel and Moses and the development of circumstances there. They have come to the land of Canaan, and that's where we are. They're right at the border. It says in verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, everyone a leader among them. So uh, things to notice, the, the leadership that the Lord is sending here, he wants representatives from each of the tribes to go. And uh, within this, there is something uh, to note that, uh, you know, this idea of uh, democracy that we cherish in this nation is not always beneficial because when you leave the decision to everyone that's involved, then if the majority of the people involved in making the decision are ungodly or immature, you have to suffer the consequences that follow from that. Uh, there's a, you know, let the cat out of the bag. I'm sure to some degree you're probably familiar with this account. Uh, Twelve go in this time to spy out the land. When they come the next time, they only send two. Because only two come back with a good report this time. And on the second occasion, they don't leave it to that type of chance and decision. Uh, notice... In verse 2, the Lord says that I am giving this land to the children of Israel. I am doing it. It will happen. It is going to be accomplished. The, the Lord throughout this has made promises to these people that this land is theirs. They are going to conquer uh, the occupiers of the land. He is going to accomplish his work. And it's the distrust it's the faithlessness. It's the doubt. You know, very easy to criticize other people. I have to just apply this to myself. I have to look at this and examine my own behaviors in circumstances like this. You know, take my own person and create a microcosm of what we're seeing here as a larger picture. When the Lord has said things to me, made promises to me when I have seen in his word the things which he has assured me of. Do I trust them? Do I rely upon the greater opinion and allow doubt to take a hold of my heart and create circumstances which the Lord has not said would take place? So consider. Verse 3 says, So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran according to the command of the Lord. So the tribe is moving, or the, the nation is moving, all of them, men who were heads of the children of Israel. Now these were their names from the tribe of Reuben, Shamua, the son of Zachar, from the tribe of Simeon, Shaphat, the son of Horai, from the tribe of Judah, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, from the tribe of Issachar, Igal, the son of Joseph, from the tribe of Ephraim, Hoshea, the son of Nun, from the tribe of Benjamin, Peltai, the son of Raphu, from the tribe of Zebulun, Gadiel, the son of Sodai, from the tribe of of uh, Joseph, that is the tribe of Manasseh. Pause there. Uh, the tribes of Joseph were divided into his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. You'll remember that uh, his two sons received his blessing in double portion, uh, Manasseh uh, being uh, the older, Ephraim being the younger, but go back and study how the Lord placed his blessing upon the younger rather than the older. So just for a little clarification there, the tribe of Joseph is divided into the two tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh. So Gadai, the son of Susai, 
from the tribe of Dan. Amiel, the son of Gamali, from the tribe of Asher. Sethu, the son of Michael, from the tribe of Naphtali. Naba, the son of Vafsa, from the tribe of Gad. Geuel, the son of Mekai. These are the names of the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land, and Moses called Hoshea, the son of Nun, Joshua. So Joshua's name originally was Hoshea. The name Hoshea means salvation, and Moses here changes it so that it becomes Jehovah's salvation. So this is actually the name of Jesus. You're looking at the Old Testament in here. It's translated into English, but uh, they are one in the same. What a blessing to have a name like that. You know, To be introduced as Jehovah's salvation would be quite an honor. And he becomes the leader of uh, the nation of Israel once Moses passes away. The record of names, uh, it is... Important to recognize that the Lord records this for us, unfortunately, for the record of failure. There's two names here which actually perform the work in the will of the Lord. It is Caleb and Joshua. The rest of the names are all men who come back and have to bear the record that they didn't trust the Lord, and that they spread fear amongst the people. Uh, Listen, one more time. Uh, I often will name the name of false teachers and name the names of those that you should not follow. I will, you know, tell you about a book, tell you about an author, tell you about a movement, tell you about a denomination, tell you about those things which are wrong. I'm not going to sit around and argue about, you know, small things amongst the brethren, right? The Baptist church down the road, awesome. You know, the Pentecostal church up the street, wonderful. I'm not talking about, you know, creating infighting and bickering. It's it's when there's poison in the flock. You need to know about that. The body of Christ needs to be aware of that. Wouldn't it be more comfortable for us if the Lord didn't record these names here and just told us about the two men who were successful and good and brought good report be a lot less embarrassing for the families all throughout the scripture the lord does this he he names those who do good right and proper and he names those as example who are failure you know keep in mind right I, I, i can point out a name from biblical history like samson and, and one more time, that guy, you know, if you're thinking the Sunday school, uh, you know, imagery of Samson, here's a guy who, even in his death, does it out of his selfishness. As he stands there with his hands on those pillars and says, God, let me do this, collapse this temple so that everyone in here dies, including myself. Let me do this because of what they did to my eyes. Not, not because of how they've persecuted Israel, not because of how wicked they were as a people, not because of how ungodly they were or how much murder they had committed or how much you know, warmongering they had participated in. He does, he does it based upon his selfishness. Let me, let me kill myself and everyone here because of how they've gouged out my eyes. Oh, but then turn the page and you come to Hebrews chapter 11, and Samson is listed in the hall of faith. Puzzle yourself on that for a while, right? God's grace and the way that he works, but Samson was a failure. These men did fail. Much much better to have your name recorded like Caleb, right? Or as Joshua. You know, those who followed the Lord, who obeyed the Lord, who believed the Lord. Look at verse 17. Then Moses sent them to spy out the land and said to them, go up this way into the south 
and go up to the mountains and see what the land is like, whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many, whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, whether there are forests there or not. Be of good courage. Boy, I underlined that. Be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. Notice the way Moses does this is not in a discouraging way at all. They go into it uh, pursuing this information with a heart that isn't thinking along the lines of what the Lord would have them to think. How is it you know, that we so very often go into a circumstance and we didn't know how challenging it was going to be, so when we hit the challenge, we give up easily. We've already heard from the Lord that the Lord is giving them the land. We're hearing from Moses, be of good courage. There's many passages extending all the way back to Genesis that these people have in their possession and have been studying all of their lives that tell them this land is theirs and they're going to possess it. That the Lord has already given it to them. His telling them to go up and examine what is there is not a matter of go up and decide whether you can do this. It's a matter of go up, gather the information to prepare yourself, you know, to know what the struggle is going to be like, to know what the difficulties are going to be, to know what the challenges and the benefits are. He isn't telling them, I want you to go up and collect for yourself the pros and the cons. It comes down to hearing clearly from the Lord and then obeying the Lord. They're they're not going at it this way at all. They're going at it from the approach of this is going to be our fact-finding mission to decide whether we're going to do this. That's not how the Lord is sending them at all. They've taken too much responsibility upon themselves. God has already made this decision for them. Rather than doing what the Lord has told them to do, they've taken God's position. You know, Maybe you think I'm overextending that, but that's the truth of the matter. They've taken God's position, and now they're going into this to decide whether this is something that they're going to do or not. This nation is going to do this. God has called them to it. He's already given them the land. It's such a tragic thing to watch this all unfold. And then you turn the pages and you come to where they enter the land, right? And the spies in the house of Rahab, she confesses to them the moment that you guys crossed the Red Sea. We heard that you were coming and we lost all of our strength and our hearts were filled with fear. So all of this failure we're about to watch is completely unnecessary. These people inside the land of Canaan are already defeated, and they can't see that because they're not trusting the Lord. So, verse 21, they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rehob, near the entrance of Hamath. And they went up through the south and came to Hebron. Haman, uh, Shishai, Talmai, the descendants of Anak were there. Hebron was built seven years before Zoan and Egypt. Now, this is something to consider. God puts very specific timelines in here and when you watch programs you know like discovery or you know nova they're going to tell you that the timeline is incorrect for israel to have been inside egypt 
and to have departed from Egypt the way that they did and to have come into the land of Canaan when they did. The problem is their calendar, all of the Egyptian historians have a calendar that's completely skewed. It's, it's setting the timelines in wrong places. So do your own study on this. The Lord specifically puts timeline markers in place here. You know, Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt, and now these people are coming into the land. And they came to the valley of Eshkol, and there cut down a branch with a cluster of grapes. They carried it between two of them on a pole, meaning that it was very large. They also brought some of the pomegranates and figs. The place was called the Valley of Eshkol, because the cluster which the men of Israel cut down there. And they returned from spying out the land uh, after 40 days. So 40 days uh, is significant in regard to judgment and trial and testing. Uh, Jesus uh, was, uh, you know, tempted or tried uh, at the end of 40 days. He had prayed and fasted for 40 days, uh, 40 days and 40 nights inside, uh, you know, the uh, the uh, uh, the ark. You know, the all of these different uh, uh, things throughout the scripture that show us the Lord testing the nation of Israel and the things that they go through here. They've tested out the land and come back to Moses. Verse 26. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told him and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is the fruit. Well, well, stop right there. That would be a wonderful place for them to just leave the story. You know, we went in, we saw what it has. It's amazing. The land flows with milk and honey, meaning, you know, everything we would need for sustenance is there. You know, you could summarize it by saying food, clothing, and shelter. You know, all that we need is definitely in the land, in abundance. You know, it flows with milk and honey. It's an amazing place. Uh, it's interesting, you know, that's the blessing of the Lord on the land. It's not so much the land. The land has been destitute. Uh, you know, some things to examine. We often hear, uh, it's, it's so interesting to me right now that we're not hearing in the mainstream media what our president is doing, creating peace in the Middle East. It's astonishing. You know, everyone that has, in modern history, uh, tried to create peace there, has tried to negotiate with the Palestinians. Well, here's the deal, you guys. <clears throat> the Palestinians is a made-up thing, Okay. The perennial enemies of Israel were the Philistines. You go back to David and Goliath. Uh, Goliath was a Philistine. Uh, when Rome destroyed Israel, 65 AD, and particularly Jerusalem, uh, they drove the Israelites out of the land. So this is after Jesus you know, life, death, burial, ministry, ascension to heaven. Uh, 65 AD, they wipe out much of Israel and drive the remnants of Israel out of the country, and they give it to the neighbors that uh, hated Israel surrounding them, and they name, the Romans name the land Palestine, meaning Philistine. So there aren't really any Philistines, there aren't really any Palestinians. Uh, mostly they are Arabs that were rejected by their nations who were driven into the land of Israel and now occupy it. We have the, the record of history that says this land belongs to these people. During that period of time from 65 AD until Israel began to reoccupy the land, it was decimated. The, the country was turned into 
a barren desert wilderness through mismanagement, mostly. You know, they, they had fertile ground that they misused and massive swamp land was created. They, they turned the entire nation into a worthless desert of ruin. Mark Twain uh, went there and traveled. He, his uh, diary stated that he had traveled uh, 24 hours from north to south had seen nothing but desert, rock, and goats. Today, it's the third largest producer of food in the world. Russia, America, Russia, and then Israel. Right? It's smaller than Rhode Island. It produces more food for the world than almost everybody else. It's the third largest producer of food in the world. Daily, uh, the, the government has converted two 747s to cargo planes. And daily, they fly two 747s to Holland filled with flowers. Because Holland is the land of flowers. And everybody that goes there wants flowers. Holland doesn't have enough flowers, so Israel supplies them. Fruitful. Flowing with milk and honey because of the blessing of the Lord. For his people. It isn't that it's this rich, fertile place on its own. It's its rich, fertile place when the Lord has his hand of blessing upon his people as they occupy it. As they occupy it. He's prepared it for them to come in and be this great, fertile place. Unfortunately, you have to turn the page and come to verse 28, right? And that one word, nevertheless, nevertheless, you can summarize that as but, right? You might even say in modern vernacular, yeah, but, <laughs> right? Oh, an elder pastor pointed out to me years ago that it's the goats who but, right? The sheep do not, not in the same way. Those that are rebellious are the ones that always say, nevertheless, yeah, but, but, nevertheless, the people who dwell on the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell on the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains. The Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. In other words, there's no room for us. They're looking for a place. This is literally how it is. They're looking for a place where they can go in and occupy the land without any resistance. Isn't that our human nature, right? The road of least resistance. You know, you can summarize that, unfortunately, as laziness. Where, where we want to just take possession of victory without there being any resistance. And those that they've listed here, we're going to see, are described as giants. And, and there were giants in the land at that time. Caleb quieted the people before Moses. Now, that's a, that's a great sort of subtitle to your business card, right? You know, Caleb, underneath that, quieted the people. <laughs> that's a good way to be thought of right there. Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession, for we are all well able to overcome it. Oh, if they had only followed this leadership at this point. It would have been a wonderful victory for them here and now. And Caleb's got the correct view of these circumstances. He, he's going to reveal to us over time that this isn't just optimism, right? We hear that garbage come out of the world. You just need to think positively, right? That's not always true, right? Sometimes it is, you know, time to give up. 
<laughs> you know, there, there are terrible things we involve ourselves. No, not time to give up. Listen, uh, I know many of you, and you've beat your head against the wall on the wrong efforts many, many times in life. And there are times to give up on certain things, right? I'm not talking about the things the Lord has called you to cling to and hope for and stay in the battle for, right? Your family, your children, your marriage, you know, those things. But sometimes in our pride and our sinfulness, we cling to the wrong things. That's not what's going on here. Caleb isn't just talking optimism. He understands the promises of the Lord. He understands the strength of the Lord. He understands the spirit of the Lord. And that's what he's encouraging the people towards. We can do it. We need to do it now. Strike while the iron is hot. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. Now pause for a moment. Does the land devour the inhabitants? It's full of inhabitants. If the land is so threatening, then how have these people survived there and why are they doing so well and why are they referring to this land as a land that flows with milk and honey? Because their eye is not on the Lord. Jesus tells us in the New Testament, right, that the light of the body is the eye. And when the eye is bad, then the whole body can be filled with darkness. It's a spiritual explanation. The, the summary is when there's proper things flowing into your vision, your spiritual vision, then your whole person will be illuminated by that. If there are sinful and negative things flowing into your vision, your spiritual vision, then your whole person will be filled with that sinfulness and that negativity. These people are revealing to us that their view is ungodly, that their view is negative, that they're not viewing it through the scripture and the things that the Lord has said to them. And they're affecting the entire nation. This is what happens with the majority, right? We uh, watched a sermon in uh, it was a pastor's conference that took place in Hawaii uh, last year, and we were watching the recordings of that. And uh, the studies have been done uh, regarding uh, church splits and uh pastors leaving the pulpit and what uh, it's so interesting they have discovered is that regardless of the church size uh, very large or very small church splits and pastors departures from their position occur because of seven people's negative opinions almost always it's seven or less Seven people within the congregation who infect the rest of the congregation with their negative opinion. Be cautious about your negative opinion and be cautious about other people's negative opinions. They can spread and infect and affect millions of people, in this case, the entire nation of Israel. So, you know, this statement, they're, they're stronger than us. Yeah, they are stronger than you. Yeah, there's no, there's no question about that. God doesn't bring them here as a fit army, ready for battle, capable of conquering all of these nations. Their victories come through the supernatural strength of God working on their behalf. It isn't because of their prowess. It isn't because of their capabilities. Even to this day, Israel survives because of God's strength and God's intervention. It isn't, it isn't because of their military prowess or their you know, political capabilities. It is God's provision, the bad report. You know, the, the land devours the inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. Uh, their 
we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, uh, came from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers. Notice this, in our sight. We were like grasshoppers in our sight, and so we were in their sight. Think about that. Our opinion of ourselves was that we were meaningless, small insects that couldn't possibly withstand these giants that we were coming up against. You know, these uh, giants that they're talking about, uh, the Philistines, I've already mentioned David, the, the Philistines uh, were a race of giants. Now, if, if you think that that's uh, storybook, fairy tale, Sunday school stuff, we, we have lots of archaeological evidence of giant human people. You know, not, not aliens, in case you've you know, watched any of that stupidity you know, online. Uh, you know, found human femur bones from the kneecap uh, to the hip that are larger than three feet in length. You know, you build the rest of the human from that, you're looking at somebody that's closer to 11 feet tall. Um, one of the interesting things, uh, this, this isn't gospel truth by any stretch of the imaginations, but Mount Sinai, uh, not Mount Sinai, um, where did uh, the ark come to rest? Ararat? Yeah. So uh, uh, there at Ararat, the locals uh, have uh, all kinds of things they teach about the ark. Forget what the rest of the world thinks and believes. And one of the things they have is an iron bed frame that they say was the bed frame of Moses, and that is longer than 11 feet. They have door frames inside houses in the area that they've discovered in archaeological digs where the top of the door frame is 12 feet in the air. The, the door handle the, where the latch was is almost six feet in the air, you know, at my head. Strange. Interesting. So giants in the land, it's not something that you need to concern yourself with. But in, in any case, these people viewed themselves as being meaningless, nothing, small insects that these people could easily destroy. So they transfer their opinion of themselves to the people. And so we were in their sight. That's not true. I, I, I've already quoted to you the fact that Rahab is telling them from the moment you guys crossed the Red Sea, we knew we were doomed. If they had actually interviewed any of these people, they would have discovered that they were scared to death of the nation of Israel because of the supernatural power of God. Victory is already in their hands, and that's not how they're viewing it. So we'll go a little further. 14, so all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept. That night, and all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness. Wow. They plummet into despair. They've seen God's miraculous hand provide for them, provide them safety, deliver them to this location, and the minute that they take a public poll about what is the greatest opinion amongst us, and the opinion is defeat, then everyone goes into despair. Everyone plummets into literally wishing for death. Listening to the greatest opinion in a society is never wise. You want to listen to the word of God, number one. Then you want to listen to godly leadership, number two. You don't, you don't want to listen to the majority. That can be extremely dangerous. Oh, if we had only died in Egypt or in the wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. They, they've literally rejected God's authority in this. And that's not, again, my opinion. The Lord's going to make this statement uh, through several passages here about this is not a rejection 
of Caleb and Joshua or Moses and Aaron in leadership. This is a rejection of me in the process. Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. They're interceding for the nation of Israel. They're praying for them. You know, th there is a tendency uh, in those who are godly when we are surrounded with ungodly and the opinion to just sort of back away and have an attitude that sort of says, let the Lord destroy them. Moses and Aaron don't demonstrate that. They fall on their faces and they're interceding for the nation of Israel. They're begging God for mercy. It says, but Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, the sign of great distress and mourning. And they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel. You might want to underline that. Their despair and their depression and their anxiety over these circumstances, here Joshua labels as rebellion. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land. For they are our bread, our provision, you, you might say. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. It's an interesting study, but the Lord was the success of all of these nations in Canaan. He's used them as his instruments. The scripture tells us that, the Lord tells us that, that the nations they had conquered and the people that they had ruled over, the Lord had used them as a disciplinary measure. And now Joshua is saying that time's over. God raising them up to be these mighty nations is done. Right? Think of the occasions where the Lord tells Pharaoh, I've raised you up. You think about the occasions where we see Incredible leaders like Nebuchadnezzar, as the Lord is saying, I've given you this power. I've given you this nation. You know, God is in control of this upcoming election. And whatever we end up with, that's what the Lord wants us to have. It's really difficult to embrace that at times, right? But the summary of the thing is the Lord knows what we need in order to bring us to repentance. And unfortunately, you guys... You know, such great anxiety previously. And now you hear people rejoicing. But where's the repentance? Where, where's the repentance of our nation? No, it's still lacking. Still profoundly lacking. So what are we going to get? Because it's delivered by the hand of the Lord. We do need to vote. We do need to exercise the gift that God has given us, but he specifically tells us that he is the one who promotes. It doesn't come from any other source. God is the one who accomplishes these things. Wonderful message from Joshua, and he did it to the whole congregation. However that was accomplished, right? Because we don't have social media at this point. We don't know what that means other than the, the Holy Spirit has recorded that Joshua made sure the entire congregation heard this message. He spread this message through the people. We can do this. This is a provision that has come to us from the Lord. This is ours now. Do not fear them. Verse 10, and all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle meeting before all the children of Israel in order to correct them and stop them from doing that. It is so common 
right? You see occasions where societies and people are given a choice and they choose wickedness. You have Jesus, perfect example, performing miracles, healing, feeding, providing for, raising the dead, sight to the blind, you know, cleansing lepers. The moment comes, do you want Jesus or do you want this murderer, Barabbas, and the people choose Barabbas? It's, it's very often that an entire civilization will choose wickedness when they're given the opportunity. It's sad. Here they want to stone Joshua and Caleb to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people reject me? See that again? It's a rejection of God. And how long will they not believe me? With all the signs which I have performed among them, I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them. I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. I, uh, I'm glad it was Moses who experienced this and not me, right? We've already heard Moses record that Moses was the most humble man in all of creation. And, you know, if I write that, it's incredibly arrogant. Moses writes it and he proves it. If I'm given this opportunity right here where I've had to lead these people and they've been rebellious and frustrating and difficult and just given me a headache for you know, all of this period of time and suddenly God says, let's start over. Let's just take you and we'll build an incredible nation out of you, Will. I'm probably going to think something like, no, now finally you're on the right page. You know, you're finally looking at things properly. Because... Maybe not you, but many of us have too high an opinion of ourselves. Moses does not. His opinion is not that God should start over with him. He understands the failures. How long shall I bear this congregation as they complain against me? I have heard the complaints which the children of Israel make against me. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord, uh, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. The carcasses of you who have complained against me shall fall in the wilderness. All of you who were numbered. Remember, we've already been through. Um, I, did I, I'm sorry, I skipped all of that, didn't I? Back up to 20. Where, where did I leave off? I, I, 11. Thank you. Thank you. Wow, so I skipped a whole chapter. Let's move over to the right page. Verse 11. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people reject me? How long will they not believe in me? All, with all the signs which I have performed among them, I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them. I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear it, for by your might you brought these people up from among them, and they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you, Lord, are among these people, that you, Lord, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands above them, and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Now if you kill these people as one man, then the nations which have heard of your fame will speak, saying, because the Lord was not able to bring this people to the land which he swore to give to them. Therefore, he killed them in the wilderness. Now I pray, let the power of my Lord be great, just as you have spoken, saying, the Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression. But he by no means clears the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Pardon the iniquity of this people, I pray, according to the greatness of your mercy, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt, even until now. Thank you for correcting my position there. The Lord uh, is... Testing Moses at this point, and Moses 
puts back to the Lord all that the Lord has promised Moses and the nation of Israel. He's, he's calling the character of God out. We shouldn't think that God was not going to forgive these people and not going to correct the circumstances. Uh, we're going to see, as I've already sort of jumped into, God is going to hold them accountable for this, which is what is meant in this uh, the the uh, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. From that statement, there's a false teaching in Christianity referred to as generational curses. There are not general generational curses taught anywhere in the scripture. What this is saying is that your sins will affect your children up to the third and fourth generation. Follow the concept. Uh, the false teaching says that uh, you are the way you are because of the sins of your father. So if your father or your mother, in you know, whichever case you might be looking at, this is the way my mother acted, so that's the way I act. This is the way my father acted, so this is the way I act. My father was a drunk, that's why I'm a drunk. You know, my father was abusive, that's why I'm abusive. Okay, you know, the sins of the father visited upon the children of the third and fourth generation. That's a lame excuse, and if it's true, then the cycle never ends. Right? Because if my great-great-grandfather was an abusive drunk, and now I'm an abusive drunk, well, that's my sin, which means that's going to be extended to the third and fourth generation of my children. That's a perpetuating cycle. That is not what the Lord is saying at all. Any generation can break the cycle of sinfulness, what he's saying is, if you sin, your children are going to have to reap what you've sown. The things you do affect your children up to the third and fourth generation. It carries on. You know, it, it, whatever sin you want to fill in there, however it may be, it does affect. We shape and mold our children. Here's a frightening thought. You know, child development psychologists you know, insist that what shapes and molds a child for the remainder of their life more than anything is the first 18 months of their life. That gives me the shivers because of how I've, you know, raised children and what I was learning and growing through myself during that period of time. That makes me fall on my face for my children and pray the Lord would continue to work in their hearts and forgive me and cover them with grace and be their father and overcome all of my shortcomings. Here, this nation needs the same thing. Their rebellion against God is going to affect the following nations. Verse 20, right? That's where we're at? Okay. Sorry, guys. Then the Lord said... I have pardoned according to your word, but truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Oh, we long for that day. It's his coming, his kingdom. Because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have put me to the test now these ten times, and you can record those from the departure to this point, and have not heeded my voice, they certainly shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him, has followed me fully. And that would be the Holy Spirit. Amen. I will bring into the land where he went, and his descendants shall inherit it. Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valley. Tomorrow turn and move out into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. It's time to leave. Your opportunity is over, the Lord is saying. It's, a, it's an unfortunate thing to see people rebel even against the judgments of the Lord. We'll move ahead in verse 26. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation who complain against me? 
I have heard the complaints which the children of Israel make against me. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. The carcasses of you who have complained against me shall fall in the wilderness. All of you who were numbered according to the entire number from 20 years old and above, except for Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, Joshua, the son of Nun, you shall by no means enter the land which I swore I would make you dwell in. But your little ones, whom you have said would be victims, I will bring in, and they shall know the land which you have despised. But as for you, your carcasses shall fall in the wilderness, and your sons shall be shepherds in the wilderness forty years. Bear the uh, brunt of your infidelity until your carcasses are consumed in the wilderness. Again, uh, this entire congregation's journey uh, from the Red Sea to the Jordan River where they crossed into the Promised Land was an 11-day march. So think about that. What they could have accomplished in 11 days because of their rebellion ends up being a 40-year experience for this nation. Unfortunately, I've got similar experiences in my own life. I look back and I see things the Lord has accomplished in my life and when I finally give in to his will and it's so simple and I turn around and I think this is the same thing he was saying to me in 1989. What am I doing? The rebellion of our hearts. Pray the Lord would cure you of it. Amen. So difficult for us at times. According to the number of the days in which you spied out the land, 40 days for each day, you shall bear your guilt one year, namely, specifically, 40 years. And you shall know my rejection. And I, the Lord, have spoken of this. I will surely do so to all this evil congregation who are gathered together against me in this wilderness. They shall be consumed and there they shall die. Heavy-handed judgment that the Lord brings. Rebellion, according to the prophet Samuel, is equal to witchcraft. Stubbornness is the same as idolatry. Those are important lessons to learn. I chase rabbit trails and Strange ideas develop in my mind, so forgive me. Again, this is not a biblical truth that I'm giving you, but it's something to chew on and think about. We often remember the Lord saying that the children of Israel walked through this wilderness for 40 years and their shoes did not wear out, right? It's got to be, in my opinion, that many of this younger generation end up wearing the shoes of those who have rebelled against God and passed away. The new generation is born. Are they, you know, traveling with a shoe manufacturer and a, you know, or is it more like goodwill? Where when you get to the point where you need shoes, you go to the shoe wagon and you get a pair of shoes that fit you. They are somebody else's shoes who rebelled against the Lord, has passed away, and left them behind for you. Something to think about. Something to think about. Something to examine yourself in who you're following spiritually and what you see in their life, right? Never criticize a man until you've walked a mile in his shoes. Maybe that's where this comes from. Until you've walked 40 years in their shoes. It's a difficult thing to understand this entire generation dies because of this rebellion, this disbelief. 1436, now the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land, who returned and made all the congregation complain, who returned and made all the congregation complain. The opinions of a few, right? Millions of people 
affected by ten. Ten people swayed an entire nation. You know, you want to stone some people, Joshua and Caleb? Maybe you want to take a minute and think about who needs to be put out of the congregation. Because it isn't Joshua and Caleb. It's ten men who have swayed the entire opinion. They've caused the entire congregation to complain against him by bringing a bad report of the land. These very men who brought the evil report about the land died by the plague before the Lord. He put them to death. Joshua, the son of Nun, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, remained alive of the men who went to spy out the land. And then unfortunately, we have to close this chapter in verse 39. This feudal invasion that we see here. Moses told these words to all the children of Israel. And the people mourned greatly. And that's putting it mildly. And they rose early in the morning and went up to the top of the mountain and said, Here we are, and we will go up to the place which the Lord has promised, for we have sinned. Isn't that our character? I've failed, but now I will make up for it. I, I will accomplish the work of the Lord. The only way they're going to have victory is in the strength of the Lord, and now they presume they're going to do it in the flesh. They're going to accomplish this on their own. They admit they've sinned, but now they're going to take this upon themselves. So Moses said, Now, why do you transgress the command of the Lord? For this will not succeed. Do not go up, lest you be defeated by your enemies. For the Lord is not among you. From the Amalekites and the Canaanites are there before you, and you shall fall by the sword. Because you have turned away from the Lord. The Lord will not be with you. But they presumed to go up to the mountaintop. Nevertheless, neither the ark of the covenant of the Lord nor Moses departed from the camp. I want to pause there for a moment. Right? Good, right, and proper ministers of God constantly and continuously bring and teach the Word of God. The Ark of the Covenant contains the Word of God. Moses is delivering the Word of God to these people. And he's not with this group because they're rebelling against God. It's a very unfortunate thing to watch much of what calls itself Christianity, surging ahead in areas in our culture, doing things that are profoundly unbiblical, even in their ministry, doing things that are profoundly ungodly. They, they believe that they're being successful when in fact they're completely defeated. Why? Because the word of God is not with them and neither is a minister of God amongst them. They're listening to themselves. They're following their own directives. So very often what they're more engaged in is prosperity. That materialism is what they're pursuing. They presumed to go up to the mountaintop. Nevertheless, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord nor Moses departed from the camp. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who dwelt on the mountain uh, came down and attacked them and drove them back as far as Hormah. Complete destruction, complete defeat is what they experienced in the circumstance. Powerful lessons for us. The encouragement, know the word of God and be obedient to it. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, we are so grateful for you and what you do in our lives, the work that you do and how you love us. I thank you for the patience of this congregation with my delivery today and just ask that you would cause these things to sink down into our hearts and minds that we would be able to live by them. 
Give us the strength of your spirit, Lord. In and of ourselves, we are completely unable to even follow you. Our hearts complain. Our hearts rebel. We're disgusted by it ourselves. Help us to follow you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.